Welcome to the Virtual CFO Podcast, a podcast from Financial Goddess about all things business and finance. Today we'll continue our session on COVID-19 special with a special focus on assistance available to your business and to yourself as an individual in Australia. Some of the things we'll be looking at is JobKeeper, JobSeeker, Early Superannuation Access, uh, Cash Boost, State and Federal Grants, some local um, initiatives and ATO assistance available for your business. Firstly, let's start looking at the JobKeeper and understand the difference between JobKeeper and JobSeeker. They are two very different programs and depending on which one your employer ex-employee is on, they follow through a very different path and you as an employer have very different obligations in each case. So first of all, JobKeeper is a fixed $1,500 per fortnight gross payment is designed to help you and your staff to stay employed. Directors, sole traders, and even beneficiaries of trusts can be eligible to apply if they meet eligibility criteria. On the other hand, JobSeeker is the old Newstart allowance, also known as unemployment benefit, and it's designed for people who have lost their jobs and who need to look for new employment. JobKeeper is a fixed amount, like I have mentioned, and it is part of the employee's taxable income. You are required to withhold tax on that amount. So after tax, it's $1,308 per fortnight processed for each eligible um, employee. It is also administered by the ATO as a monthly reimbursement to eligible entity. JobSeeker, on the other hand, is administered by social services, also known previously as Centrelink. It has a component of, um, so the total amount is 1100 per fortnight at the moment. It is tax-free. COVID-19 bonus is 550 per fortnight. That amount is a fixed amount regardless of any other um, income. And the other component, the regular new start component and the ongoing payment are subject to fortnightly income test and reporting. So some of the things that you cannot do as an employer under the JobKeeper, you cannot pay staff only part of the JobKeeper. So if normally you have a part-time or casual staff member that would usually be paid less than the $1,500 per fortnight. If they are eligible and registered for a JobKeeper, you cannot pay them less than that amount. You must pass on that full amount to the employee. The second thing you cannot do as an employer is ask your staff to share JobKeeper with another non-eligible staff. So for example, if you have uh, other employees that might be on holiday maker, visa, work visa or maybe have been casual with your company for less than 12 months and therefore are not eligible for a JobKeeper, you cannot tell your staff member to share the JobKeeper, say they'll get $1,000 and you'll reimburse the other employees' wages, the other 500. Uh, The non-eligible employees, you simply do not get any reimbursement for and that individual employee that is eligible for a JobKeeper gets the full amount of $1,500 per fortnight. 
The third thing that you cannot do as an employer under the JobKeeper is force staff to nominate you instead of another employer. So uh, the JobKeeper registrations have closed on the 31st of May. Before that date, uh, each employee, if you are a registered entity, an eligible entity under the JobKeeper, you would have had to ask each one of your employees to complete a nomination form. And there was an option to tick that they're choosing you as their employer for the JobKeeper reimbursement. It is the individual employee's choice. So if you have an employee that is working in multiple companies, say they're holding two or more um, jobs, whether they're casual, part-time or otherwise, it is their choice whether they nominate you or another eligible employer for a JobKeeper. You cannot force them to nominate you. The fourth thing you cannot do as an employer under the JobKeeper, you cannot pay them only their usual wages if those wages were lower than the JobKeeper. So in a lot of situations, your casual employees and your part-time employees, their gross wages would have been less than $750 per week or the $1,500 gross per fortnight. And if that's the case, Again, you cannot pay them just their usual wages. You have to pass on the full JobKeeper amount. And that is the case regardless of how many hours they are currently working for you or if they're working any hours at all. The fifth thing that you cannot do as an employer under the JobKeeper is ask your staff to perform another role that they are not reasonably skilled or qualified to do to make up for the pay. This particular situation came up a lot in my conversations with um, businesses and that stems from a fact that a lot of the times as a business owner, if you know that you have to pay somebody $1,500 a fortnight, you want to make sure that you maximize the efficiencies within your company and you, know, you want the employee to work to that value of money, which is reasonable assumption. However, under the JobKeeper rules, you are not allowed to ask them to perform a, a task they're not reasonably skilled or qualified to do to make up that pay. So as an example, if you have a staff member that is employed as a customer service officer or a receptionist, you cannot reasonably ask them to perform cleaning duties or you cannot reasonably ask them to complete payroll or bookkeeping for you because they don't have the necessary skills or qualifications to perform those roles. On the other hand, if you have um, a management accountant working within your company and you want to ask them to perform the payroll officer's functions or your um, bookkeeper or accounts payable function within your company, you can ask them to do that because they are reasonably skilled and qualified to carry those tasks. But on the do's, I will touch on a little bit later during this podcast. The sixth thing that you cannot, as an employer, um, ask your staff to do under the JobKeeper rules is reduce their hourly rate of pay. And this is the second most common scenario that I have been working through with a um, number of my business clients. So again, it's as a business owner, you're sitting down and you know you have that mindset that if you're paying somebody $1,500 a fortnight, um, you really want to make sure that they are working for that money. So what some of the business owners have been coming up with um, and 
thankfully running it past me and not just acting upon it, is wanting to reduce the hourly rate of an employee to then effectively ensure that they're working more hours and therefore working effectively through their JobKeeper payment. You can't do that. You cannot reduce your staff member's hourly rate. Whatever hourly rate was in their award, whatever hourly rate might be in their employment contract, under the JobKeeper, you must continue to pay the staff members at exactly the same hourly rate as before you registered them for the JobKeeper. However, the government does recognize that the COVID-19 is rather unusual situation. And there are some provisions that have been temporarily put in place within the legislation to allow you as an employer extra flexibility through the JobKeeper program. So some of the things that you can do is you can ask staff to work additional hours at their usual rate of pay to the value of the JobKeeper payment. So if, for example, you have a staff member that is currently working 20 hours a week or 40 hours per fortnight, and you want them to work, say, 30 hours a week or 60 hours a fortnight, and that would equal to the $1,500 uh, JobKeeper payment, you can absolutely ask them to do that as long as it's for the same work that they normally perform for you, absolutely not a problem. The second thing that you can do as an employer is ask staff to perform tasks other than their usual tasks, provided they are reasonably skilled and trained to do so. Now you might come back and say, hang on Margaret, but didn't you just say to me before that I cannot ask them to perform another role? Here's the catch. You cannot ask them to perform another role that they are not reasonably skilled or qualified to do. However, if they are reasonably skilled or trained to do so, you can ask them to do that task. So going back to the example of a company accountant, you can reasonably expect that your company accountant will also be able to know how to perform aged payable function how to chase debtors for invoices, how to process your payroll, how to perform uh, bookkeeping transactional entries. You can reasonably expect that your company accountant can fill in those positions. Just like you can reasonably expect that your bookkeeper will be able to perform some of the receptionist or administrative tasks, such as answering the phone and passing an email inquiry to a more qualified person, such as filing, photocopying, those are the things within the specific roles that you can expect people to perform. But you cannot, for example, expect your um, a trade plumber or electrician to all of a sudden sit there and handle phone inquiries or social media for you because they're not reasonably skilled or trained to do so. So this one is quite a vague one. Uh, in some circumstances, you might be able to have a clear-cut decision whether it's a yes or a no. Uh, in other circumstances, it's quite vague. Sometimes you can apply common sense. So, for example, if you're running a, a large company where you have departments and a head of department, you can reasonably expect 
that a head of the department or the most senior role within a specific department, such as finance or marketing, for example, that that employee will be able to perform every single function of other staff members within their department. However, that cannot be said about the most um, junior staff members within that department, as in you can't reasonably expect that they will be able to perform or that they will be qualified to perform the, staff, uh, the same tasks and responsibilities as the most senior staff members on the team. Again, if you're not sure whether um, the tasks that you want to propose, the additional tasks you want to propose for your staff member to perform to make up for the JobKeeper payment, whether they would be suitable or not, uh, feel free to get in touch with an expert. Feel free to talk to me. Feel free to talk to HR experts, um, the qualified accountants, and get your head around your particular scenario in your business to just double check that you're on the right page. The, the third thing that you can do as an employer under the JobKeeper is ask staff to work from another location. So for example, if you have multiple cafes and they usually work at one, you can place them at another location based on the need. That's a lot easier if your multiple locations are within the same town, within the same city. If you're thinking of relocating your employee to interstate location or a further distance, then you need to also start thinking about living away from home allowance or start thinking in terms of paying for their accommodation, food and, and transport to perform the duties at another um, location. However, um, under the current legislation changes within the fair work, these are temporary changes and they do allow you that flexibility. The other thing that you can do is you can reduce the staff hours of work if you don't have enough work for them. This is another thing that is specific to the JobKeeper program and another thing that is specific to this COVID-19 situation that otherwise um, you wouldn't be able to do as an employer. But right now during these unprecedented times, if you don't have enough work to give to a particular staff member or staff members, it's regardless whether they're working for you full-time, part-time or casual, you can uh, reduce the work hours based on your current business needs. However, having said that, you must still pay them the full JobKeeper amount. Uh, some key points to remember about the JobKeeper. The first thing is JobKeeper is a reimbursement. So you must pay at least 3,000 gross per month to an employee to be eligible. Paying less means you won't be reimbursed. The second thing is the JobKeeper, you must withhold the tax on that amount. So you don't pass on the full $1,500 to the employee but it will be 1308 to the employees that would normally be paid that amount or less per fortnight employees that otherwise are on higher wages you will still pay them your their regular wages you wouldn't be reducing it to 1500 dollars um, per fortnight the job keeper you do not have to um, pay superannuation on that you can but there is no compulsory superannuation on the JobKeeper. So that's another important point to um, keep in mind. 
The, the other thing is uh, the Fair Work Australia, they have amended the legislation to allow employers extra f flexibility as per the JobKeeper. And that's the flexibility that we have just discussed. Um, I would encourage you to see their website for details. This information is forever evolving and changing. And it's important to understand that those extra provisions that are put in place, they are only temporary measures as a reaction to COVID-19. They are not there to stay in place forever. So please be mindful of that information and please be mindful that to go to the website and double check on the latest and double check what you can and cannot do still as an employer before going ahead and um, putting any changes as part of the JobKeeper. The other thing is to, that it's important to remember too is that you must report monthly on employees and uh, turnover in order to continue to receive the payments. So each month your accountant or your registered tax agent must continue to advise the ATO um, about the eligible employees and for your employees to be eligible. You cannot add new employees uh, to the system, but in respect to the existing ones, if anyone has left your company who was on the JobKeeper, it's important that ATO is notified on that monthly reporting. Also, um, if for whatever reason you haven't made the minimum $1,500 a fortnight payment to the employees, there will be another situation in which they won't be eligible. And then you have to report on the turnover. So ATO is asking you to forecast your turnover for the coming month, as well advise, as advising actuals for the previous month. Now, those figures do not impact on your eligibility for the JobKeeper on whether you will or won't receive the payment. They are simply designed to help the government to monitor how well and how quickly the economy is recovering in different sectors as they continue to review uh, their JobKeeper programs. The monthly reporting has to be completed by the first week of the following month. So it's important that you do get in touch with your accountant or your registered tax agent and that you stay on top of that reporting to continue to receive the reimbursement from the government. Another type of assistance that is currently available in Australia as part of the stimulus uh, packages for COVID-19 provisions is the early super access on the grounds of COVID-19. And what it is, it's up to $10,000 request for withdrawal before 30th of June, 2020. And then a second uh, request can be put in place, again, up to 10,000 between 1st of July, 2020 and 27th September, 2020. To be eligible, you must have suffered financial hardship as a result of COVID-19. People who are eligible for JobKeeper or JobSeeker payments can automatically pretty much um, qualify for that. Um, and it's important to understand that whilst it is self-assessment, ATO did advise that they will be going back at a future date and randomly reviewing uh, people's eligibility. So at the moment, you'll go through MyGov, submit an application, um, tick off that you have suffered financial hardship as a result of COVID-19 to 
apply for early super access because it is based on self-assessment at the moment. There's, uh, you don't need to submit any supporting documents at this stage and the ATO will issue you with a letter that you then um, that goes then to your super fund that you then take into your super fund and then the super fund needs to release those funds to you within five working days. It's also important to note that there is restrictions on how those funds need to be spent. So the funds can only be used on essentials and cannot be used on lifestyle items. What does that mean? That means that the money that you would draw from your super, you can use it to replace white goods. So if your fridge or washing machine broke down and it needs to be replaced, you can use the funds for that. You can use the funds to pay for your bills, for utilities, you know, your electricity council rates, um, water rates for food, for medicine, but you cannot use it on lifestyle items. So you cannot go and upgrade your car or go on holidays or, I know, um, pay for a cosmetic surgery out of that, those funds. It's also important to know that while this option is a good option and it's good that it's available out there, it really should be a last resort. And I would strongly encourage you to speak to your accountant or financial planner before making a decision about taking money out of your superannuation. And that's because there is a long-term ramifications to you reducing your um, balance for your retirement. And depending on your current age and your circumstances, it might have a varied degree of impact on you when it comes to retirement. So if you're thinking about accessing your um, superannuation now, applying before 30th of June, or um, you're thinking of applying for the second lot, uh, starting from next month, please make sure that you do speak to your accountant or financial planner before making that decision. The next thing that the government has put in place is a cash boost of um, 20 to 100,000. This one is perhaps the most controversial of all of the stimulus packages that the government has put in place. And the reason for it is that there's been significant change in how it's been administered and what that really means um, in real terms for businesses from the time of announcement until the final position. So what it is, it is a cash boost payment for businesses employing staff at or before 1st of March 2020. The cash boost is equivalent to 100% of the quarterly pay-as-you-go value at a minimum amount of 20,000 and maximum 100,000. Now, that cash boost has been split over two quarters as it is as of uh, today. And so therefore means that when you've lodged your March quarter bus, it would have been a minimum of 10,000 and a maximum of 50,000 cash boost and there'll be a second one when you lodge your June quarter bus in July again a minimum of 10,000 and a maximum of 50,000 applicable it is applied as a tax credit so it is not an automatic cash payment into your bank account um, unlike what was 
initially stipulated in Treasurer's announcement. It is a tax um, credit and it can result in a best case scenario in maybe some excess tax credit available as a cash refund. That would however be for very small entities as it firstly reduces the bus liability. So your bus would consist of your pay-as-you-go for the um, staff wages, but then there is also a GST component. So if we're talking about the um, cash boost being equivalent in most cases to the 100% of your pay-as-you-go and that the cash boost is used as a tax credit against it, effectively for majority of businesses it will mean that they don't have a pay-as-you-go liability to pay for that quarter however what they do have is still a gst liability payable for that quarter if you're a large business on the other hand and your pay-as-you-go liability is more than fifty thousand for the quarter then you'll still have some pay-as-you-go liability reduced by the 50,000. So as you can see, it's not um, really a cash boost coming into your pocket. There's nothing effectively coming into your bank account unless you're a very, very small entity where the total of the bus that you've lodged, so the total of your pay-as-you-go installments due plus your GST liability for a quarter, if that was less than the $10,000, and the minimum payment that the ATO would do is 10,000, then this will be the only circumstances in which you would end up with excess tax credits and the only circumstance in which there will be a refund going into your bank account. It's important to note that not all entities are eligible for the cash boost. The cash boost um, for example, any new business that was registered from 1st of July 2019, those businesses are not eligible for the cash boost as one of the criteria, for example, is that you would have had to lodge a tax return for 2019. Also, if you're a business that hasn't lodged a tax return for 2019 prior to 12th of March, 2020 you will also not be eligible so if you're a larger entity and you normally lodge your tax returns through an accountant then you would normally lodge around um, end of april beginning of may before the 15th of may cutoff for your accountant that means you haven't lodged your 2019 tax return it effectively means that you will also not be eligible for the cash boost now, in addition to those measures, there's also state and federal grants that you can look um, to check eligibility criteria for and apply. Oh, I had a quick look at the Queensland government website as I'm currently based in Queensland. And some of the small business grants available, for example, include Queensland Small Business Month grants, there is Business Growth Fund, there is Small Business Artisan Producer Grants Program, Small Business Digital Grants. There's also a Small Business Disaster Recovery Grant, just to name um, a few different grants that the government has. Each state has their own set of grants. So 
New South Wales, Victoria, Tasmania, South Australia, Northern Territory, Western Australia. Each state government has their own grants for their small businesses and they would all have different eligibility criteria. So go and have a look at your relevant state's website as to the different grants that you might possibly be eligible for or book in a discussion with me at financialgoddess.com.au forward slash book online and we can discuss your individual circumstances and brainstorm what sort of grants you may be eligible for. There is also um, federal grants. This you can find through www.business.gov.au forward slash grants and programs. Simply enter your postcode and your industry and then select what you need help with. For example, if you need a grant to help you to hire more people and then search for the grants that are available. If you need help with federal grants as well, feel free to get in touch with me. We can brainstorm together what may or may not be suitable options for you. I also work closely with um, professionals that specialize in writing grants. There's a specific process that you need to go through when you apply for grants and the budget that you need to present. The other important thing to note when you're applying for the government grants, that those government grants have assigned reporting. For every grant that you receive, there will be certain dates by which you need to produce your financials and your outcome reports. In some cases with the larger grants, the government may also request that those grants be separately audited. So it's important that you take that into consideration, that you understand your obligations when you're applying for grants and then in the event that you are successful in receiving that grant, that you understand that you need to keep your financials in respect to the grants separately. They need to be able to be tracked and that you understand that you might incur extra administrative costs as a result of that um, and as a result of potentially needing to have this audited. There is further things, further initiatives that local councils run. One up here in Cairns is one with um, hashtag keep it in Cairns. And it's designed to sub, um, support local businesses and keep your dollars in cans. You can also support your local businesses by liking local business pages on Facebook. You can look for local experts and local suppliers first. You can also share local deals on Facebook in Cairns case with hashtag keep it in cans. And you can also leave positive reviews for fellow businesses. At that point in relation to leaving positive reviews, it is absolutely important. It's five minutes out of your life where you can share a positive feedback about the interaction that you had with the local business. And it's important for a number of reasons. First of all, in the current economy, we do want to support local businesses. If you have a business that has a great product or service and you had positive interaction, it's important to share that information. It's important for others to know. You want to help your favorite business. You want to help your good local businesses to survive and thrive through these times. So any person looking for that product or service, they can rely on your review and on other reviews to make that choice for themselves. It's also, if you have a really negative experience with the business, you know, it's also important to let other people know. Um, 
especially in the current times, you really want to make sure that you put your support behind some great products and great services that are out there available locally. The other way that you can support your local business is by referring local. So think about your family, your friends, other businesses that you interact with. If you are working with someone that you're absolutely crazy about, you absolutely love their product or service, whether it's a great tax agent that you have that maximizes your tax refund and charges you a very reasonable price, whether it's a hairdresser that makes you look fabulous and makes you feel like a goddess, um, whether it's your local butcher that always has top quality meats at reasonable prices, your local dentist, whatever service or product it is, share that knowledge with your family and friends. Help support local. It's helping your family and your friends by being able to choose a, a good quality product or service. And it's also helping that business to survive by directing uh, more businesses towards them. And finally, the other way that you can support the local business and also help your own local business is by becoming a member of a, a local professional uh, business networking group such as BNI. And the reason it is important is because that is the marketing of your business. It's where your support network will be. Groups like BNI, they help each other to refer businesses to one another. That becomes your marketing team. It also becomes your support network. People that you can get together with on a regular um, basis, like-minded business professionals who are also in it together with you, who are also struggling through COVID-19 and are facing their recovery, where you can share some advice, where you can support each other. And again, you can refer businesses to one another. We are all in this together. No one can do it on their own. No one can make it on their own. So it's important to seek out those business connections. Now, it couldn't possibly be a COVID-19 special podcast without bringing special attention to ATO and managing your ATO debt and compliance. It is more important even now more than ever to ensure that you stay on top of your compliance and on top of your debt. The reason it is very important for you to do is because ATO has the power to bankrupt you. They have the power to liquidate your assets, whether you're a sole trader or whether you're a company. Um, they have the power to liquidate your assets as a company director. If you're in a business partnership and one of the business partners uh, can, doesn't have sufficient assets to liquidate to meet their share of the obligations, they will go after the greater uh, portion of assets of the business partner who can cover that ATO debt. So it's very important to make sure that you are on top of that ATO debt. If your compliance is not up to date, if you have few years of tax returns outstanding and you're delaying it because you're worried about that tax bill and you feel that you cannot afford to do that, it's not a good approach uh, to take. Regardless whether you can or cannot afford your ATO debt, there are things that can be put in place that are um, 
discuss later on in this podcast. But the most important thing that you can do and that you must do is to bring your compliance up to date, regardless of whether you can um, pay your tax obligations or not. The, the ATO can also take money from your bank accounts without necessarily needing to issue you with any warning about it. And this is why it's important to take care of your compliance and staying on top of it should be your priority if you want to run a successful business. So all compliance, such as tax, BAS, pay as you go, fringe benefits, um, reporting, etc., all must be done by the due dates, regardless of your ability to pay. And if you have a good accountant who is proactive in managing your compliance, it's important that if they have any queries or they need any supporting documents from you, that you provide that information to them in a timely manner so they can assist you in meeting your compliance obligations on time. If you're unable to make payments on your tax obligations, there are options available to you. ATO always had options available to good taxpayers. So if you always had a history of lodging things on time and paying things by the due date, um, there's always been options such as um, payment plans for up to 12 months. Now with the COVID-19, there are even more options available to help you manage your obligations. One of those options that ATO has introduced is extending the 12-month payment plan to a maximum of 24-months uh, payment plan. It does mean that your future tax obligations as always need to be paid on time or you need to go and put new payment plans in place, but that effectively is a great relief for a lot of businesses. The other thing, um, the other option that ATO has had in place is a deferral of the tax obligations for up to six months. Now, up to six months is not from the date of today, it's up to six months from March. So effectively what it means is that at this point in time, you can defer any tax debt and all tax debt that you have, whether it's as a business or individual, up to 14th of September. And just like with the ATO payment plan, this is something that your registered tax agent or your accountant can put in place for you. The deferral doesn't mean that that account is no longer overdue. It will still show on the ATO records as overdue. All that the deferral does for you, it means that the ATO will not be actively chasing that debt until 14th of September. And it also means that you can make voluntary repayments of that amount before then, but you don't have to. What you're required to do by 14th of September, if you have deferral in place, is to make sure that again, your accountant or your tax agent gets in touch with the ATO before that day and either finalize the outstanding amount, um, the payment for the outstanding amount in full, or by then you need to put a payment plan in place. There will be no further deferral options available as we know of today. Of course, should the circumstances in the economy change, um, should, we, should we have second outbreak of COVID-19 and the government put something different in place, that will change. But as of today, there'll be no further deferral. So you need to be prepared to manage your business cash flow in a way that if you do have deferral in place, that you can meet those payments. 
Now, I cannot stress enough to you the importance of September and October cash flow management because this for many businesses will be a do or die. And the reason being is because the government has legislated a lot of the support, like JobKeeper payments, for example, it is legislated to end on the 27th of September. Yes, they are reviewing this now in June and there might be some changes beforehand, but it is not legislated to go past 27th of September, which means the first week of October, eligible businesses will receive the final reimbursement for staff wages. After that, you're on your own. You need to make sure your business can financially meet your um, obligations. Now, on top of that, if you have deferred your taxes, your tax, your current tax obligations to past 14th of September, it is the same time frame within which you will be required as a business to either start making payments to make good of those existing debts or to pay those debts in full. So as you can see already, that September time frame, it's like a ticking time bomb. Right now, your business and many businesses are supported through the government stimulus packages. But comes the end of September, as we know it today, your tax obligations will become due. On top of that, the new tax obligations, so the June quarter, past maybe 2020 tax return, etc., um, will be due for your business. The JobKeeper support payments would have ended. And at that point in time, this is where a lot of businesses will fail. And I talked to a lot of um, liquidators and they know they're sitting right now knowing that there's a lot of businesses in hibernation that should have gone under administration, that should have gone into liquidation and are otherwise trading insolvent. And that it's a, just a time delay when end of September, beginning of October, there is, you know, there's an expectation of high degree of businesses failing for bankruptcy. So if you can prevent it, if you can be proactive, don't be one of those businesses. Sit down now. This is the time now to talk to your accountant. If you feel that your existing accountant is treating you like you're just a number, if you feel like they don't have the time to sit down with you and discuss your business situation, then they are not the right accountants for you. Come and book the consultation with, with me. Let's start working through together. It's important that your business gets all the help and support that you need. And it's important that you're working with somebody that can help you to effectively manage your cash flow and help your business put the best foot forward. Now, this has been a podcast, um, the virtual CFO podcast brought to you by Financial Goddess. And remember, you deserve the peace of mind that comes from running a profitable and predictable business.